0: Hi there, welcome back to episode four of the Real Film Chronicles Podcast. As always, I'm Nathan. And I'm Brian. And we're here to talk about uh movies um, and our love thereof. Specifically today,
1: we're gonna to be talking about Zack Snyder's Justice League, which feels like it might be a
0: little bit of a dangerous topic with all the discourse that's gone on online. But here we are. Yeah, I've tried to. I have not mentioned anything on Twitter specifically about my opinions about Zack Snyder's movies or about Justice League in particular, just because a lot of the dialogue has become so so toxic, and because I run the risk of uh, association with some of those more unsavory elements of the fandom.
1: Yeah, and it's this interesting thing where, at least my Twitter sphere is full of people posting comments that say, I will not be talking about Justice League. Please do not message me about it. There'll be no post about it. I assume this person it will go watch it, but people are choosing silence rather than going on and exposing themselves to essentially disagreement of opinion leads to a lot of bad things. Specifically, there's a sect of this fan base, which has been cyberbullying and harassing
0: and whatnot, which is just really not cool. And this is the problem I think with a lot of fan bases when they get to a certain certain size or certain cultural saturation maybe thinking also of of Star Wars, I tend to stay away from Star Wars dialogue online now too just because and I think it's the case with the Zack Snyder fan base and the um Star Wars fan base where it's a very small percentage of the fans but they're also very vocal and they're very toxic and they get into very kind of bullying behavior and just for, um, I just didn't want to be, I didn't, I didn't want to get dragged down in that kind of that no. kind of quagmire. I, I didn't want to be associated with um, these people unintentionally. And unfortunately, like I've, I've steer clear of star Wars talk and Zack Snyder talk online now a lot of the time. Yeah. And the, essentially the social media platforms kind of enable a lot of the
1: negativity to, to happen, yeah, and it it's also the flip side that a lot of positivity can happen because this is not the first time we've seen fans start a campaign to bring back like a, a se- season of a series of a television show or mm-hmm. whatnot. Uh, there's been lots of famous examples of that, I think, but I think Je- Zack Snyder's Justice League is probably the first most significant movie that had such a campaign launch with it. And I just wanted to point it at one thing to where the fan base, as toxic as it is, uh, there's a lot of good people in it too, and raising awareness and fundraising, uh, in this case for suicide prevention, uh, which was
0: just a really nice thing to have happen out of this. Absolutely. I know we talked about the negatives of social media and the negatives of fandom, but there are, this is the problem that a small group of people kind of taint the larger fandom and and taint the population. Prob- Public perceptions of that fandom, but they're, I think, mm-hmm. by and large, the DC EU fans, the DC Extended Universe movie fans, and the Zack Snyder fans, and Star Wars fans. I think, by and large, they're good, decent people who just love this content and, and love these movies and, and, and love the TV shows. And I think that, like you said, a lot of good comes out of this too, where you see not just in terms of that, of the, um, you know, restore this Snyder Cut um, campaign where they're raising money for suicide prevention and that kind of thing. Um, but also, you know, in a creative sense, like helping to restore um, creative visions for these. You know, we'll call them not to be pretentious, but but artists, right? And mm-hmm. I think that was a was a big part of this too. There was obviously some people who didn't like the chopped up version of Justice League we got. But there were also people who genuinely, um, you know, felt for Zack Snyder. Who I don't know if we want to get into this now or later, but was kind of dealing with a personal tragedy at the time and left the production of Justice League back in, I think it was released in 2017. So I think in 2016 or 2015 when they were when they were filming, and then they brought in Joss Whedon to to finish off the movie. But as it turns out, watching the Snyder cut, um, he basically just about reshot the entire movie. It was it was nuts nuts. Like It's pretty fair to say, and like you said, maybe we should get into
1: this later, but maybe just uh, in the context right now, Snyder finished shooting the film and I think ended up having to leave the project before a lot of the post-production happened. Mm -hmm. And so initial like rough cuts came in, they decided, no, we're going to bring in someone else to finish off the project because Snyder is is out of the picture at this point. Uh, They chose Whedon and he did all these infamous reshoots obviously with the Henry Cavill's mustache and mustache gate, or whatever you want to call it there. And of course, I mean, obviously changing the entire tone of the film from his
0: original vision. Right. So I think what happened was the the kind of common story for us who obviously are not industry insiders or anything. This is just what we're able to piece together from what we, what we see in the media and, and as the stories kind of unfolded. But essentially, there was some blowback in terms of the reception for Batman v Superman, um, and some of the criticisms from from critics and fans was that it was a little bit dark, um, not just uh, visually, mm-hmm. but in terms of tone. And then when Zack Snyder um, left, and they and he had his kind of rough assembly cut there, and I think the studio executives, again motivated mostly by it was obviously by money, but they were really thinking about how can we lighten this tone, how can we make this more profitable and they looked at of course the mcu the marvel cinematic universe and they turned to um joss whedon who helmed of course the first two avengers flicks avengers and then avengers age of ultron which we know were hugely successful as the Mm -hmm. as the as as he was making those films the mcu was really coming into its own and so they turned specifically to to joss whedon to it's clear to see because of the success that he was able to help um, deliver on the Avengers films. And and if you look at what type of filmmaking that Joss Whedon has and the, and the, and the kind of aesthetic, the filmmaking aesthetic that the Jack Snyder has very different in tone, very different um, visually where Joss Whedon is very much about, I mean, people know now that when you say like, it's uh the dialogue is very Joss Whedon. You know, it's like the, everyone's a quip machine mm, yeah. throwing out those, you know, clever one-liners, a lot, of, a lot of jokes, very lighthearted. And even the color palette visually with, with Joss Whedon is always like, it's a lot brighter. Everything's lit a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, but what happened was, as, as, as Brian, you were saying is that he came in and essentially reshot just about the entire movie. And with Henry, Henry Cavill, who was shooting, um, a Mission Impossible movie at the time. I'm not sure which one it was, though. Fallout. You're the Mission Impossible expert here. Which his character in that movie had a mustache, and that was what Paramount. Yes. And then this was Warner Brothers that was shooting Justice League. So when he came back for reshoots, I think I think Paramount actually reached out to Warner Brothers, and they actually came to a they actually apparently what I heard was they came to a deal where he would be allowed to shave it, but they'd have to pay them some uh a, a oh, money. Really? Because they had to delay production as he grew back his mustache. So they actually did come back. <laughs> and Warner Brothers was basically, the like, respondents like, no way, man. like, we're not paying you anything. And we, 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 we saw the result was that in the original release, the 2017 Justice League, they literally CGI'd the mustache off of Henry Cavill's face. And I don't know, I don't want to speak badly of the uh, visual effects artists because I know that they're usually under huge deadlines and they're overworked and underpaid but i think because of that because of the tight deadline they weren't able to really do the cgi justice and you could tell like henry Kevill's not just his upper lip but sometimes his entire face looked entirely different and like kind of warped almost it didn't Mm -hmm. look like the actor at all it was definitely a situation where the visual effects were poor and
1: like you said not necessarily because of the the artist's uh skill level but it's it always comes down to how much time they're given to do the job and doing something like that looked like it was a pretty involved process that they just did
0: not have the time to do and and basically the special effects suffer for that it was one of those movies i think the last time really felt like this was watching the dark knight rises where i just like i thought about this movie for days afterwards like I felt something, mm-hmm. in, it was like a seismic shift inside me. It, like <laughs> some something has shifted somewhere, right? As I was watching this thing. It felt, it felt epic, like in the scale of like Lord of the Rings, epic. The st- yeah. like just the story and the scope, but without feeling bloated. What's well, interesting, you
1: mentioned Lord of the Rings because, like, we saw Lord of the Rings in theaters, oh, yeah. and then we bought the DVD of the extended <laughs> cut. And I'm watching, I'm thinking back to, you know, probably 2003 here, (laughs) watching that extended cut for the first time, I couldn't tell you all the little differences. Like there's so many just little additions onto every scene in the extended cut where Zack Snyder's Justice League, things play out very differently. Um, There's a lot of new scenes here, which I guess aren't technically new. They're the original film scenes they are not the refilmed scenes that we saw the theatrical it's pretty confusing but it felt like there was a lot of different stuff going on here to the point where i only vaguely remember the original theatrical cut and its plot points and we still follow a lot of that but we get multiple hours of new content in this movie
0: yeah it really feels like i mean i going back in time um, of things a bit different if they had like, taken this movie and split it in two, they would have had a, an awesome two-part Justice oh, League um, movie in line with... I don't know if it would have been... I don't know if I put it on par with Avengers Infinity War and Endgame, but it would have been up there. Because like, I think that there's a big fight with um, Steppenwolf in the in this, in the tunnels under mm-hmm. Gotham Harbor. I think that takes place at almost exactly the halfway point in the movie. So yeah. it, would perfect, it would have been a perfect split... <laughs> to put this in into two different movies and they would have had they would have had double the money so i gotta ask did you watch the entire four hours of this movie in one sitting or did you see it in a few sittings so i felt like in order to get the full experience i needed to watch it in one sitting yep um you know a couple bathroom breaks aside but uh, just to get and i think that maybe helped add to the scope and scale of the thing. Mm -hmm. when you see it all at once and you sit down for an afternoon, like I sat down with my son, um, on a Saturday afternoon and we just, we just watched the heck (laughs) out of this thing and it just feels like you're immersed in this world, right? It feels like you're being brought in. It feels like it, like it, it felt right. It was, there was emotional commitments. There was emotional investments to the movie and to the characters, especially with all the added scenes and all the all the background for the characters.
1: So the characters were greatly expanded upon and to great benefit to the audience. Uh, Ray Fisher's character, Cyborg. Yes. Um, completely different, like re-energized, so much more interesting. And I don't know if I want to call him the anchor of the film, but he had the most character development, the most everything happening where... It really took from the theatrical cut, just, you know, being kind of angry, who had his powers and his changes forced upon him into this more dynamic character that had this deep relationship with his mother. And now, as a result of his father's experimentations, uh, he lost his mother and holds a lot of anger towards that father. So there's a lot of motivation
0: there that we didn't get before but like you were saying, there's an emotional core to this character now. There's an emotional arc that you follow, um, where he starts off in a very dark place in the in the original the twenty seventeen cut, he's just a sad cyborg. He's just yeah. he's just sad and angry. But in this one it's like, no, you get to see his background where you saw his his physical peak, right? So having you know, having his body replaced with mm-hmm. all these cybernetic parts. You see you get more sense of that kind of tragedy there where he had so much of his, his identity wrapped up in his in his body and his physical abilities right yeah. to like, go through that that trauma to have that relationship with his parents fleshed out where you see his his mom um really involved and his dad a little bit more distant and and, the, and that kind of tension there and you see his sense of kind of um his sense of justice when he was hacking into the school system yep. to um, improve <laughs> his friends grades Sacri- like essentially he was willing to kind of sacrifice his own like scholarships and his own place at the, at the college to, to help out his friends. Yeah. And you see his mom going to bat for him and you see, and so even a couple extra scenes with his mom who doesn't, didn't exist in the um, 2017 version. She was in only in the, uh, in the Snyder cut, but you get that sense of loss when they get into that accident and he loses mm-hmm. the one parent that he felt really close to, who was out, out at all his football games, who made the time. And, in but then to get that relationship with his dad, where his dad, you could tell he he loved him because he sacrificed. You know, he went to the one of the mother boxes, one of these alien artifacts, and used it to reconstruct his son's body with these cybernetic mm-hmm. parts, um, without necessarily considering the consequences psychologically to to his son and the kind of trauma that he'd have to endure from that. Yeah. Um, but he obviously. He wasn't really emotionally connected to his son in a in a really concrete way until near the end of the f- film. But you could tell there was these hints that obviously he cared about his son because he, he wanted to save him from death no matter what. His father willing to make full sacrifices,
1: he knew it, like he's going to damage his son in this way.
0: But like you were saying, yeah, like Cyborg was, f- was fleshed out and Ray Fisher was given a chance to shine. You could see... Um, A lot more um, of him being able to flex his acting chops. You got to see a lot more background. Flash. Oh, my God. Flash was another character who was like he was actually given stuff to do in this movie. He was actually useful and he was he wasn't just like a quip machine. He was obviously a bit more of comic relief. But his introduction scene now when he when there's a big car crash and he goes to rescue. I think it's supposed to be Iris West. It is. Yep. Yeah. And the whole, yeah, like, I don't know. You could, like I said, I'm a huge fan of Zack Snyder and the man loves his slow-mo. Yeah. yeah. Well, it, it worked perfectly for the flash. It right? worked perfectly. So, but the whole, the whole setup where the whole scene's just frozen and he's, you know, grabbing the hot dog that's frozen in the, in midair. And then he like gently lowers down the girl, Iris West. And she's lying on the ground. He looks up and she looks up at him and he runs away. And he and he's yeah. back, and there's like nice, nice little kind of ending to that scene where he's back in the pet shop where he was trying to get a job, and he's like t- he had, had had that wiener that he stole or that he mm-hmm. took from the from the crash, and he was like using it to feed all the dogs, to like get that job. So it was like a nice little thing where he's like thinking ahead, where he's like all these little things in his life going on, and it's almost yeah. like he, showing like he's like how he's thinking in, in hyperspeed too. Right. <laughs> cause I was wondering, he was like, why is he taking that hot dog? Is he going to eat that gross hot dog yeah, later? Right? But it's like, no, cause he's thinking about the other, the job that he went yeah. to interview for. So it's kind of neat. Cause he's always talking about how he's like uh, at a faster pace than people, but even cognitively, like he's like, basically Whedon in the theatrical cut,
1: really dumbed down the flash. <sighs> and not only as a character, like as a, as a human being making him that comic relief, but really reduced his powers. To the point where the Flash doesn't even know how to use his own body, right? Um, he he fumbles around. He's constant, like he's getting into, like he's running into walls. He falls on top of Wonder Woman at one point in the theatrical cut because he doesn't have control over his body. Yeah. And now we get a much more competent, but also human uh, Flash. What's his name again?
0: Barry Allen or Barry I- Allen? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Or Ezra Miller, I was just the draw a blank on the Billy Allen <laughs> Barry Allen here, Billy Allen <laughs> but no, like in the Snyder cuts, he's actually he. Like it's, I like there's a balance where he, a couple times like he stumbles and falls, because he's like, he's a kid and he's get, learning the ropes, but he's also he's essential to the plan at the end of how they're going to beat the bad guy, and, and yeah. when that plan goes sideways, he's literally the guy who saves the day like Flash is, is it was turned, in the original 2017 release, the Justice League he's reduced in that final fight to going and saving a single family in that truck he pushes a truck he pushes a truck and now he's literally <laughs> he literally saved the entire
1: world And it was done very well because we, the scene where they charge the mother box as it's falling into the bio liquid with Superman's body in it or whatever happened there it plays out very similarly but there's this one little added touch where barry is traveling along so fast and you see the mother box like it touches the liquid is like oh man i think we might be too late but i've seen the theatrical cut i know he's not too late but this is playing out differently well he goes so fast he starts reversing time the mother box rises back up and then he touches it and i'm thinking wow that was pretty slick and it pays off literally like An hour and a half later, where he's saving the entire thing, and obviously spoilers uh, throughout all this stuff here. (laughs) (laughs) But basically, (laughs) um, again, we see things are not going
0: well. Things are about to fail. Well, I love how. So what happens is, so the 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 plot is kind of generally the same in terms of. So there's this bad guy, um, Steppenwolf. He comes down from outer space, and he's looking for these three artifacts called Mother Boxes, which, when they're combined together, they create the unity. And what that does is it's a creative slash destructive force that can be used to... that. Um, Seppin' Wolf and his boss, um, Darkseid, used to um, conquer planets and recreate them in the image mm-hmm. of, I think, Darkseid's home planet, which is this apocalyptic hellscape, like lava and, and, and kind of very very hell-like. But essentially, what happens is Steff- Steppenwolf eventually in the movie, both versions of the movie, but in the Snyder cut, he gets the mother boxes, and they're gonna and they're in the process of combining to form that unity, which is essentially gonna destroy our planet. And so Superman is resurrected at that point. He shows up at the end. Um, he beats the living heck out of Steppenwolf, but it's too late because Cyborg's trying to separate mm-hmm. the mother boxes, and he fails. And like even so, even Superman coming back, yeah, coming and he and he and Superman fails, and the Flash is out there because he's he's running around in circles trying to build up speed, because again he's going to use his charge to help, yeah, quote unquote push, um, Cyborg kind of into the mother boxes to interface with them, but he like he gets shot at, he falls down, he's waiting for it, he gets. I think he gets hit in the leg. So he's waiting for his, because because of his increased metabolism, he heals faster. Mm-hmm. So that wound in his leg heals, but not in time. And he starts off. And that, like you said, we had that hint earlier, just a hint that when he approaches the speed of light, that strange things start to happen with time. And you, So you get that sense that he's actually tried to do this before, right? That he's tested out his mm-hmm. powers. But at that end scene, he runs so fast that he starts reversing time, and it's just literally just a couple of moments. So he's not going back hours or days. It's literally just, literally just a couple of seconds, but that's all that's needed. And yeah. the gr- the visuals for that shot were so amazing. we like the the land, the ground was actually reforming under his feet yeah. as he was oh. running, as he traveled <laughs> back in time. Like you could see Superman and Cyborg literally reassembling from their skeletons outward as time yeah. went backwards. Just those few couple seconds. But Flash gets in there and he manages to to touch Cyborg and give him that charge or that push he needs to get into the mother box and save the day. But literally, Flash is the one who is able to, like, all of them working together. But now Flash has this huge part where he is instrumental in saving the day. Such a change from the... 2017 version where he does has nothing to do and this one he's literally (laughs) he helps save the planet we would like they would have lost without him like it's it's incredible what they did
1: like every member was important in that final battle yeah and
0: the theatrical cut the flash really wasn't that important he didn't do he wasn't involved in the battle at all he was literally just and he they told him to go out and save people and he saved one family and like in that final fight in the original release the theatrical release Superman shows up and he starts to fight Steppenwolf, but then he like leaves to go save a bunch of civilians. But like literally the entire planet's fate is at stake. It doesn't make any sense why he would leave that fight. Yeah. it fits the Superman does,
1: it doesn't fit in with his character in the theatrical cut because in man of steel, like again, the world is, is at stake here. And you could make this argument where he's going back and he's demolishing buildings to stop Zod because he knows if he doesn't stop Zod the whole planet is crushed like the whole planet is changed
0: it's done this is one of the things and I think they touch on this in I think you talked about in, in Captain America Civil War switching um, universes here but they touch on this idea of you know sometimes you have to make sacrifices to you know for the larger or greater good right so like which was the a big message of
1: Man of Steel where mm-hmm. Clark's father Kevin Costner sacrifices himself for the greater good. Right. It's like, don't expose your, your identity here. We need you to stay this way so you can. Until the world is ready
0: for you. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of things didn't make sense in that theatrical cut. And this is the thing too, is like watching the theatrical, because I, I watched the theatrical cut oh, in yes. preparation for the, um the Snyder cuts um, two days apart and the, the, the ranking for justice league. Yeah. It, it went down for me just because of that comparison too, to seeing how good the Snyder cut actually was and to seeing things like, um, like you mentioned, I think um, it's become a lot more obvious now with the allegations against Joss Whedon. We won't go into it here, but issues of um, harassment and abuse specifically in relation to um, uh, gender and, and race as well. Other, I don't want to get into any allegations here, but, um, You can read all about it from actual first sources who know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of, you mentioned that scene where the Flash falls down, and he, on top of Wonder Woman at one point in the fight, with his face in between her breasts. Yeah. Which is a gag that Joss Whedon put in, not just that movie, but also Avengers Age of Ultron with Bruce Banner and Black Widow. The first fight with Ultron, he falls down on top of her with his face in between her breasts. This weird, <laughs> which is a weird weird kind of gag this is not a director trademark that should be encouraged no and it just like from what i've read about behind the scenes reports um both gal gadot and her stunt woman felt really uncomfortable with this scene because it was completely out of place completely, completely out of context and um from what i've heard again third fourth hand knowledge that her stunt double actually was the one who did that scene and she was she was potentially allegedly threatened her job was threatened to to do that but it was like a little juvenile adolescent thing where like the man falls on top of a woman and just like this weird kind of sexualization kind of mm-hmm. kind of kind of deal this felt it felt kind of off in both movies i was glad to see that that was removed um there was like um this weird animosity between um in the in the theatrical version between um, Bruce Wayne and Diana Prince, where he, where they're arguing about whether to bring back, try and try and resurrect Superman who died in the previous mm-hmm. movie, and he starts like going off on Diana, like, "Where have you been?" And it's like, "What about Steve Trevor?" And like taunting her, and she like pushes him and attacks him, and like all that stuff is gone. Like this time when they're oh, cra- yeah. when they get the mother box because Cyborg, Cyborg's father had the mother box, so he goes and gets it, and they just like they're standing around that that same same scene, but. Zack Snyder's version in the Zack Snyder cut, And then literally the first thing that comes up is like flash is like, Oh yeah, we should like, you guys are all thinking the same thing, right? Like we need to, we need to bring him back. And there are, there's some misgivings among people, but the overall, they kind of agree. There's no big contrived yeah. fight between Wonder Woman and, and Batman. They're just all like, they're like, you know, like it's, it's a calculated risk bring them back because we don't know what's going to happen yeah but we have to take that chance for the sake of of the planet and they're all kind of in agreement right mm-hmm. there wasn't a big big fight they know the risks right mm-hmm. but they
1: know that yeah this is something that they have to explore i just wanted to touch on a, a thing i was a little bit disappointed with in this movie i thought maybe we we're going to get more lois lane more amy adams in this in mm-hmm. this entry And especially in reference to bringing Superman back, where this one really played out uh, very similarly to the theatrical cut where Lois just so happened to be nearby when they were doing all this. I had the impression in the theatrical cut that Bruce had reached out to Lois, had her nearby, but the, the Zack Snyder's cut here basically confirms that no, none of that happened. That it, No one reached out to Lois,
0: oh, and yeah. she was just literally walking down the street. It was a little convenient, but I think it played out better than the theatrical cut. For um, sure. Because the theatrical cut, he kept, Bruce Wayne slash Batman kept talking about, oh, we have to bring out the big guns. Bring out the big guns. And everybody kept thinking, I was like, oh, it's, he's got a secret weapon he's going to use against them. And it turned out to be, no, we're going to, he, he was apparently in contact with Lois Lane, which there was no hint at like the yeah. those two characters had no interaction. There was no hint that he was in touch with her at all. Just like, Oh yeah, we're going to have her show up because Bruce Wayne said so, yeah. which felt, which also felt kind of weird. This is like Lois Lane is just like on commit. He's, she's just at the beck and call of Bruce Wayne whenever he wants her to be somewhere. That's, it felt kind of weird. So this one, at least it, it, it made sense in the context of the movie where she was going to that shrine every day mm-hmm. on that, that monument to Superman. And, yes. And then it made sense kind of that there was a connective tissue where Superman, as soon as he woke up, as soon as he was resurrected, he went to that place that had special meaning for both of them. So it kind of made sense. Obviously, it was. That's a, a really good point. It was a very comic book movie plot point. Which is fine. But it, it, it made sense that they were both had that emotional connection to that place. And that's It, it kind of made sense that they were there at the same time.
1: I think you just said a light bulb off in my head that maybe uh, reduces my criticism for the convenience of Lois Lane just walking by. Um, It also leads into another uh, complaint I had that maybe is not as much of a complaint anymore, wherein we discover um, uh, Clark's mother, Martha, is talking to Lois and basically kind of encouraging her to get back out there because Lois is at an absolute low And so through that conversation, Lois, I think there, decides, yes, I'm going to continue going to that memorial site, mm-hmm. right? And it turns out that that was the Martian Manhunter disguised as Martha Kent, which in the moment I was like, oh man, that was kind of sad. I really prefer that was the real Martha getting that out there. But now in this context, and I kind of understand better, Martian Manhunter knew this was going on. He's kind of operating in the shadows. He knows Lois needs to go back out there, right? He needs to keep this this tradition going, and essentially plays his part in making sure that Superman returns.
0: It goes well. Well, I think yeah, sheds new light in that scene. I think she was going to that monument literally for the last time. Like she was saying, yeah. kind of like saying her goodbye. Like she was get, moving on with the grieving process and saying, you know, like I'm. I have to say goodbye to this person I lost and, and move on. But you're right. She, the Martian Manhunter was the one who got her to go out there that one last time and say goodbye. So she just happened to be there. But that was kind of Yeah. It was, and I was kind of torn about that whole scene too. It was a lot better than the newsroom scene in the, in the theatrical release where they had just, it was weird pacing and some weird jokes. Um, but yeah, it was like, it was a nice scene between, um, the two, uh, Two characters, but it did feel a little bit undermined by having mm. one of them be the Martian Manhunter. I'm torn. It was still it was still a touching scene, and like you said, I'm not gonna, I'm never gonna argue if you're gonna add more Amy Adams to a movie. It's never gonna be a bad thing, without a doubt. Yeah, and really, a lot of the afterwards stuff where uh,
1: Lois and Clark are together was was nice. I don't think was that much different
0: from the theatrical cut. I think one of the things that was really different in the um, Snyder cut from the theatrical, maybe not really different, because there was a couple subtle little shots in there, um, just implying that Lois Lane was pregnant, because oh, okay. she she opens up the drawer,
1: yes, and there's the a pregnancy, pregnancy test. test, yes, and then, and then at the end, <laughs> I think
0: one of them was carrying a baby basket instead of I think in in the original, I mean in, in the theatrical release, it was like a box full of stuff, but in the, the Zack Snyder version. I think it's Lois Lane. If you look closely, she's carrying like a look like a baby basket or like a part of a crib into the into the house, implying that she's um, pregnant with Superman's son. So again, just that little little narrative hints in there that could have that could have led to something mm-hmm. great in the DCU. Because um, I know there's a lot of um, storylines about um, various children of Superman. This is the
1: issue: is that there's a lot of stuff in the movie. That makes me sad, I, and i thought talked to others, and it's kind of the same thing. We're all sad because the Martian Manhunter thing may not go anywhere. Superman's son or daughter may not go anywhere. There's a lot of plot lines that kind of happen in his version, in Zack Snyder's version, that seems to be, well, Warners is going to treat the theatrical cut as the canon version. Is that, that what they is. said? But that being said... This is Warner Brothers handling the DC universe. It could change at any moment, right? It would not surprise me if they continued on with some of the stuff that went on in Zack Snyder's Justice League. At the same time,
0: it wouldn't surprise me if they just abandoned all that stuff anyways. I think continuity in the DC EU as it currently stands is a completely lost cause. Like, if they want to do something, they need to start with their multiverse and kind of start from scratch. I think that's kind of why shazam and wonder woman kind of
1: work for me because they don't really have very much bearing on the rest of the dc universe i mean shazam possibly but it felt pretty self-contained And wonder woman as kind of
0: a prequel in time it just it could stand on own. So. so yeah so the snyder the snyder version of or the Zack snyder cut of justice league um, i think it's officially referred to as the title of as the title Zack Snyder's Justice League to help differentiate it on sites like Letterboxd. Mm-hmm. But I feel like overall, like all the characters were a lot more like consistent throughout the whole thing. Obviously, the CGI was a lot better. Like characters, CGI characters like Steppenwolf and Darkseid, who wasn't even in the original theatrical release. they looked I want to talk really about good. Steppenwolf for a minute there. Okay. The dude looked impressive. Yeah, he looked formidable and he looked alien. Like you look at it. I, he did. I was, I was staring at his hands the whole time because it looked like he had like like three thumbs, you like eight fingers.
1: This is this is almost cheating. This morning I watched the uh, Corridor crew react to digital effects. They did yeah. Zack Snyder's Justice League and I just, not just watched it as well. <laughs> yeah. And in Batman v. Superman, we catch a glimpse of Steppenwolf, and he looks like he does in Zack Snyder's Justice League. So that means that they saw what he looked like in Batman v. Superman and then changed him drastically. And the change in the theatrical is not that great. I mean, he's he's just a, a villain. But in Zack Snyder's Justice League, there's so many visually interesting things going on with him. His suit, it's moving, these little metallic spikes moving about. The, everything about it was interesting. And I just want to throw out that final fight scene with Superman and Steppenwolf. I mean, Steppenwolf is kicking everyone's butt. And oh, Superman wow. comes in, it just lays us back down. But he gets vicious. <laughs> and... I'm glad that we got numerous more scenes with Steppenwolf talking to Darkseid because at some point he takes off his helmet and you see, oh, these giant horns coming off of his head are part of his body. Yeah. And Superman in the final battle, ruthless, black-suited Superman, just lasers one of these horns off his body. (laughs) It's just like, oh my God, Superman.
0: Oh yeah. Like even like in the theatrical cut when he shows up, when Superman shows up, that is like there's still there's still a, an extended fight scene with Steppenwolf, where like him, Superman, Aquaman, and Wonder Woman are still fighting all three of them with with Steppenwolf for some time, and then it's I think it, in that one they they a thread which is completely dropped, thankfully in, in yeah. the new version, which is that the the parademons are attracted to fear. Almost yes, like, almost oh, like right. moths. So like he he starts to get afraid at the end, and his par his own parademons turn against him, and it's just such a stupid, awful, stupid plot thread. Now in retrospect, but like in this one, Aquaman and Wonder Woman, they're holding their own against Steppenwolf, but they're not in danger of taking him down. But Mm -hmm. Superman shows up and he just like, he he lays waste to this guy. He's like, Like there's no, there's no
1: question about it. Yeah.
0: When he's like, like Steppenwolf is, is kind of flailing around. He's kind of fighting back, but you can tell like Superman has the best. When he's hitting them and those like shockwaves are are emanating out. Yeah. Like almost like his cries at the beginning of the movie where it's showing his death again. And he's just like laying into the guy and he's and you said he lasers his horn off and it's just so brutal and it's like there's there's no question. It's like, yeah, you come to like we're not playing a game here. You came to destroy yeah. our planet. Like I'm gonna stop you like I'm gonna bring up full force against you and stop you. Like there's no <laughs> not I'm not leaving to save a single building full of civilians. I'm gonna, you know, stop this at the source. And it was like, Yeah, there was a no no not a no nonsense tone to, the, to that fight, which was I mean, as it should be considering the stakes. Yeah.
1: And I like that they set it up more so in this film where these all these aliens, like whatever Steppenwolf is and including Darkseid, they're not messing with Earth because they know there's a, crypt, uh, a, a dude from Krypton. What what, are, what am I supposed to call him? A kryptonite? No. Kryptonian? A uh, yes. They know there's a dude. They know there's a Kryptonian on Earth and they're not going to mess with Earth while that's going on, right? And we actually get treated to a pretty fancy battle scene that takes place thousands and thousands of years in the past. uh, When they tried to take over Earth at one point, Uh, Darkseid shows up, and there's a whole bunch of uh, ancient gods. You know, I think you literally have Zeus on the battlefield. Uh, You have Wonder Woman's mother on there as well. Uh, You've got all these Amazonians. You've got the the
0: Aquaman folks. Atlanteans. Atlanteans. Yes, also, thank you. in a nice nod to Wonder Woman, they actually have Ares, who was the bad yes. guy in Wonder Woman, and he's actually fighting alongside everybody at yeah. that time. It's which is wild. Yeah. It's
1: a really, like, it's a visual feast and there's lots of little, I think, fun Easter eggs in there, including the Green Lantern, who gets his hand completely <laughs> chopped off, <laughs> um, which, which is fine. But uh, they, all these alien races are afraid of Green Lanterns, and they're afraid of Kryptonians. And then moving backwards in time here to the very beginning of the film i'd like that batman v superman just goes right into justice league here the justice league picks up at superman's death and you know he just lets out the mightiest yell that the earth has ever seen you know it resonates throughout the entire world it's what wakes up the mother boxes in the first place but also kind of notifies everyone else that the kryptonian is dead And that means Steppenwolf, you know, paying attention to all this, he comes down and he's like, Great, no Kryptonian in my way. Fantastic, let's do this. And they have a fighting chance. And when, you know, go towards the end, the Kryptonian's back. Oh man, we are cooked, you know?
0: (laughs) I just love seeing that power. Yeah, like, and that's the whole thing too. The narrative structure of the whole movie changed. I think in the theatrical release, it starts off with that weird video from the kids of um, oh jeez yeah of that terribly cgi'd henry cavill as <laughs> superman interviewing for their, for their podcast a bunch of bunch of geeks <laughs> yeah that was it was really messy and then this one starts off exactly it it felt like it was cohesive part of the other movies right where it starts off literally where batman v superman ended with superman's death and showing the consequences of that and showing you know, visually, how his how his death was literally kind of heard and felt around the world, yeah, where like figuratively it was felt obviously from the loss of this hero who who saved who literally saved the world, but also like kind of where his battle cry is going out almost like sonic waves his not his battle cry <laughs> his death cry is going out like sonic waves. and like you say, he hits the mother boxes and that's just like it's almost like. It's like that slight, slight, little vibration where you hit that like little like triangle, and it's like all of a sudden it's like you can just picture Steppenwolf like looking up It's, like oh, it's like they must have like computer screens or something, and it's all of a sudden it's like there's, <laughs> they get this one like wave It's, like oh, the Kryptonian died. Yeah, which the, which must mean also that in this universe there must be other Kryptonians who survived the destruction of planet Krypton, because they I mean, yeah they refer to they know they know his power specifically derived from our yellow sun, but that must have happened to some other people as well, or else, or else, or is he the only one? I don't know.
1: Well, I'm thinking in Man of Steel, there's a, you know, there's the trio of, of Kryptonians that were stuck in the Phantom Zone, uh, that were, you know, busted out. It's pretty safe to say that Krypton has been sending a lot of criminals to the Phantom Zone, and there'd be a lot of Kryptonians being able to escape at some point. Um, I'm sure there's all sorts of comic book story
0: mechanics that would allow more kryptonians to come out you gotta hope that uh, there's at least a couple of uh, kryptonian equivalents to nelson mandela in there who get out yeah. so they're not all bad guys <laughs> exactly well i mean we should have
1: supergirl show up at some point right Ooh. Uh, my only knowledge of supergirl was in the smallville series where she was also sent off planet but uh through whatever time distortion she arrived like 15 years before clark did I don't know exactly what went on, but that's, that sounds like it's ripe for more movie
0: stuff. But also like one of the other opening scenes was um, Bruce Wayne, AKA Batman going to track down um, Arthur Curry, AKA Aquaman. And that whole scene, like in the theatrical cut, it's literally just like a five second scene where he just like shows up and he starts talking to these guys. But like in the Zack Snyder cut, you get that. This is where I talk about like that that epic feeling where you, where he's traveling across these mountains and you get these beautiful shots, beautiful wide shots of like this beautiful landscape, these mountains and this rugged terrain where you get the sense that Bruce Wayne had to travel a long way and it was really difficult to get there. And I think somebody yeah. at one point when he meets with the villagers as he's tracking down Aquaman, somebody even you know mentions is like one of the villagers speaks up and says like, how the heck did this guy get across the mountains? Like, cause he said he came across the mountains and people are like, that's impossible. You can't survive that. Like, nobody can no. cross those mountains. And just like, <laughs> just like little, like little nods to that. It's like, that's why he's Batman, right? Like, Batman is still awesome. So, speaking of grand vistas and landscapes, what did you think of the
1: aspect ratio?
0: Honestly, I thought it was, I didn't even notice it when I, when yeah. I started watching it and got, in, got into it. But one thing I will say is um, after watching, like you said, I think we both watched the Corridor Crew um, visual. Yeah effects breakdown of um the Snyder cut. And w- and one of the their guests there, I can't remember his name. I apologize. He does the, I think his podcast is like Dungeons and Daddies. I think where he has like a Dungeons yes. and Dragons themed podcast. Yep. Um, but he mentions that one of the things he doesn't like about the widescreen aspect ratio, which is kind of what we think of as the, the default aspect ratio now is that mm-hmm. for superhero movies, like they don't really fill the frame. And it feels like, it doesn't feel like they're as grand or as as big a figure as they could be. But when you have that kind of more four to three or kind of more standard letterbox frame, like the superheroes, they fill the frame. They feel larger than life, right? They feel more accurate because
1: that portrait style is the, is the comic book layout. Yeah. Comic books are more vertical than they are horizontal. And so we have 70 plus years of heroes, in that format so when you throw it into the four by three aspect ratio here to it actually utilize that extra height uh, you, you're a, almost better better able to emulate those panels
0: and really give those characters room to breathe well if you look at a lot of the action where especially you have characters that can fly all of a sudden the action gets a lot more vertical than it is yes. horizontal right so you see like all of a sudden when you see superman taking off you get a lot more of that shot right you don't have to mm-hmm. keep you don't have to pan the camera crazy. You can see that all, and so maybe that's not something I really noticed watching through. But maybe um, they were able to articulate one of the reasons why, subconsciously, that this film felt more epic when I was watching it. it felt more grand in scale. Maybe that subtle psychological thing that was going oh, on. for sure. Right?
1: Like as he said in that video, when you have a wide screen you kind of end up shrinking the size of your characters Uh where this four by three aspect ratio is is more square and it's more vertical. You get to see more of your characters. And I think that was really to the benefit of Zack Snyder's treatment of his characters. And I, I don't know if we talked about this before, he treats his characters like the gods that they are. And this is a major difference between Uh the Marvel universe and the DC universe and even the comic books. Superman is a god and Wonder Woman is a god. Green Lantern, they all have these godly powers. The Flash is the god of of time and speed and everything. Not only in this aspect ratio, but in this version of Justice League, these characters really get to showcase their their extreme powers. And it doesn't feel like they're being held back for any particular reason. Like, sometimes you have these characters held hold back their powers just to better serve pl- a plot line. Like if you're watching the flash TV series or going back to Smallville where we don't want Clark to fly around because he's it's too powerful. It costs too much money to have him fly. Right. So he's going to be a speedster basically in Smallville. He's a speedster more than anything else. Uh, and here we, we, <laughs> he's obviously afforded the budget, but man, these characters can do what they've been doing in comics and just go wild and it is very satisfying to see that play out on screen because at the end of the day, and even even in those CW shows, I'm watching those shows because of those moments where they showcase those powers, and now we have a full movie where they're showcasing those powers without compromise, and I think that's really effective towards enjoying this movie.
0: I think this, too, speaks to the power of the medium, right? Where... In in a TV show, it, it still feels small, even though you have like TV shows now, like Flash and Supergirl, where you can tell like some of the special effects in the Flash TV show. I've been watching it with my son. Mm-hmm. Like, there's some like top tier like special effects in some of those shows. Sometimes they do it's a, a good job with what they got. Yeah, sometimes it's a little wonky, obviously TV budget, but some of those some of those special effects, they would have felt right at home in like uh, movies 20 years ago, right? Like they Mm wouldn't blown them out of the water, but something still feels off with those characters. Like in in a movie, when you have that specific kind of style of filmmaking and you have that budget, but you get that real sense of epicness, that real epic sense of these characters that you just can't get in a TV show. I think Mm -hmm. Um, Justice League really captured that sense of scale um, it was a lot, it was incredibly way more coherent than the theatrical release in terms of not just visual style, visual aesthetic, but in terms of the narrative, in terms of things just like making sense narratively. And you can see mm-hmm. why, because yep. it was chopped up to that extent. The characters all behave, There's a they're, they're all consistent in terms of their behavior, in terms of their arcs that they yeah. go through. Um, obviously, you have Wonder Woman and Batman and Superman obviously had their, their own movies before this one to build them up a little bit, to give them a bit more backstory. But even like we were saying, like Aquaman, we haven't talked a whole lot about, but he, he was given good character, give good backstory, good motivation. Um, They expanded
1: on him a little bit. And I thought it was pretty appropriate. It's one of those things too, where sorry to interrupt. We're in this weird situation where we know all about Aquaman now, because his movie came out between the theatrical and this cut. So it's like, how much more do we need to delve into this? And how much do they pander to that in this cut? Like when he, when Snyder is putting together this cut of the film, he knows everyone has seen Aquaman. So huh. what does he do with Aquaman? Does that change his approach to Aquaman here? And I don't really feel like he compromised that much.
0: Yeah, Will, Willem Dafoe shows up in this. Uh, is it Mera? Is the... Mera, yeah. All, yeah Amber her, her fight scene. So yeah, all the other stuff going on with Amber Heard, obviously, is... I think she's out of the DCU right now. Yeah, but like her fight scene with with Steppenwolf under the water when she starts like oh, sucking the water and the blood out of him, showing her the true extent of her power, again shows hey these characters have real power and yeah they would do something crazy like that like they're not messing around. So like overall, I think hundred percent of Zack Snyder's Justice League was better than the. 2017 theatrical release. It was just a better movie in every way. Pretty um, much, yeah. The only... I had a couple s- small nitpicks for oh, Sex and Justice League. So, uh, mostly in the epilogue chapter, it was broken up, I think, into seven chapters. Six or seven? I, I it can't, was seven chapters, I can't, yeah. Seven chapters. Um, so the epilogue, there was a... I think it suffered a little bit from Return of the King syndrome. <laughs> yeah. Um, where they had... Nice epilogues for the main characters there where you had, like, I think um, Cyborg finally listens to the tape that his father left him. Mm-hmm. And Aquaman goes back to the ocean and um, I can't remember what happens with with the others. But they it shows kind of like a nice little closures. Like, they're going, oh, yeah, like Batman and Superman are back on the farm. Like, Batman got their house back for them. Um, nice little closing. And then there's a couple other scenes that really felt like they should have been, like mid credit scenes or end credit scenes there's three scenes that really felt like they were kind of tacked on and some of them were filmed after the fact when when Zack Snyder was redoing or restoring his initial initial version so there's one with deathstroke aka what is it uh, Slade Wilson yep um he he learns from Lex Luthor who's escaped from prison that um Batman's real name is Bruce Wayne that's a whole little scene, kind of Easter egg nuggets, setting up what was originally going to be a solo Batman movie with Ben Affleck's Batman fighting Deathstroke, which is not going to happen now. There's a second scene, another nightmare scene, where it's um, Bruce Wayne having this dream about a, a, a terrible future where Darkseid has taken over Earth and Superman has turned evil because of the death of Lois Lane, which is hinted at why Lois Lane is so important, just to kind of help kind of keep Superman in check. And that feels like it's kind of, it's a, it's a mid-credits or end-credits stinger or teaser, sure. right? And then there's a, a final one, which was, you can really tell was shot after the fact, because Ben Affleck, he, he's obviously not as bulky as he was when yeah. he was playing Batman, but he wakes up from his nightmare dream, and this figure fall, comes out from the sky, and at first I thought it was, oh, this is Superman, they're going to have like a little kind of connection about like, you know, thank you for bringing me back kind of thing. A little bro moment but it was turned out to be Martian Manhunter yeah. and they had this like weird little exposition scene or the kind of meeting scene, which really felt like it would be like a mid credits scene, setting up a future justice league part two movie. Mm-hmm. And those three scenes really felt kind of, they were neat little Easter eggs, but they felt like they should have been like, these they are were mid, fine. They were mid credit scenes, everything up to that point. Great. And then those three scenes kind of,
1: it, it a hundred percent. I, I'll tell you, I was rolling my eyes during those scenes. I they hundred percent belonged in a post credits or mid credits, like you said. Uh, they are some of the only scenes where he shot new footage, and yep. like Ben Affleck and Jared Leto in in a scene together, were never actually in the same room performing that scene. Okay, uh, is it, that, was, it was is all that just kind of pieced together afterwards. You know what? Now that you say that, I'm not sure if that's confirmed. That's just what I've seen online.
0: Okay, because I heard that online, but I wasn't sure. I didn't want to... Because they never share the frame together. Okay, but they don't... Yeah, that's the thing. It's like people. I, I went back after the fact, and it's was like, okay, you're they don't share the frame, really, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they weren't yeah. together. I don't know. Like It's entirely possible.
1: Basically, D'Amivo's scenes felt a little self-indulgent, and... Yeah, I don't know. At that point in the time, uh, I could have had the movie end twenty minutes earlier, that it did without those epilogue, and would have been just as happy with the film. Uh, at the end, those scenes don't really take away from my enjoyment of the film. No, but if I am rewatching the movie, there is a chance I might just skip the epilogue.
0: Is that sacrilegious to say? I might skip <laughs> those portions of the epilogue because there is a couple scenes in there with the with the Justice League kind of doing their thing, and it shows them going off like Aqu- Aquaman's going off to film his Aquaman movie and all the yeah. and, and Wonder Woman's going off to film her, her sequel movie. um, And and Bruce Wayne's going off to retire from the DCU, but like that stuff is okay. <laughs> but it's those, those three extra scenes that really felt like, cause like the rest of the movie, I love how like the shot he, he really like Zack Snyder really allows time to, he like lingers on, on these shots, right? Mm-hmm. He gives it, gives these shots a time to breathe. And that contributes to the epicness as well, where it felt almost luxurious. Like the shots felt luxurious watching them. where it's like they were stretched out and there's long, beautiful shots of these, of these amazing landscapes or this, or these, these people doing these amazing things. And those ones, I think, yeah, those last three scenes kind of felt a little bit, I don't want to say self-indulgent, but they felt kind of, you could feel, they felt tacked on, right? They felt extraneous maybe. Which is why I felt like if you move those scenes, honestly, if you move those scenes into the into the credits at the end of the credits, no problem at all, right? That's that's fine. Like end it after your your heroes like save the day and then they go their own separate yeah. ways, but ready to be called on again to Bruce's round table in his and his in <laughs> his mansion, which is opening back up again. Like little thing, little things like that. Where it's
1: yeah, which it was lines. in the
0: theatrical cut as well, but like in the movie itself. In the new one too, it's showing like where he had kind of abandoned his his family home because of all the memories, and, be, and just showing his disconnection from humanity. So going back to that place is like, yeah. I have like it's like he's found a new family. He's refound his humanity. So little touches like that.
1: Well, for him, for Bruce, his arc is over the course of two movies. Yeah, because you could really watch Batman v Superman and this one back to back and have essentially a six or six or and a half hour. Yeah. Film that is one coherent piece. Yeah, uh, it, it slides perfectly together, and for Bruce's character, it's almost important that you do watch Batman v Superman. It probably even the ultimate cut to get the full effect of it.
0: It really feels like I mean, and and again, full disclosure. Like I am a huge fan of Zack Snyder and all his work. Um, Three Hundred is still one of my top movies of all time. I'd still slot it in my top ten. So like I'm coming at this with a certain point of view and very obvious bias I'm, I'm a fan of Zack snyder as a filmmaker um but you know it, within that context though just to give you that background i like i this movie just felt so so epic i like guess it it felt like yeah just it was very was blown it away. was
1: extremely satisfying and i think we touched on a lot of it, it i was really impressed with the film uh, i will definitely revisit this version of justice league and basically never watch that other theatrical cut ever again you know what, this is, so this is going to become a, a, a trope of this podcast is that after we talk about a movie, I am pumped about the film and I w- I'm thinking, oh, this should rank higher than I originally gave it. I had Zack Snyder's Justice League at three and a half stars. And for comparison, the lowest my Justice League theatrical cut rating went was two stars. Uh, this is easily twice or even more the film than my theatrical cut was. I don't think it fully deserves the four, four and a half. But honestly, after talking about it, and after revisiting it, this is
0: going to be a four-star film for me. Yeah, see, for me, I, I have, I think, on Letterbox right now, Zack Snyder's Justice League. I have it ranked at four out of five stars. You I do, was, yep. I was clo- Oh, you've been stalking me on Letterboxd. <laughs> yeah, I, I checked it out. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, uh, I'm, I was teetering between four and four and a half. It's not a perfect film, but I just... I can't remember the last time I got that sense of kind of epic scale in that specific way, because I remember watching, remember it wasn't that long ago, but I watched Tenet for the first time and like Christopher Nolan knows how to, he knows how to make a film. He knows how to give that sense of scale and that sense of epicness. I know I've said the word epic like a million times (laughs) in this, in this episode, but like there's that one kind of, there's different kinds of that sense of scale where, for me Zack Snyder's Justice League felt more on the scale of like Lord of the Rings where like you had that like epic epic journey and like the landscape was epic the heroes were larger than life mm-hmm. everything felt like you had that emotional connection to everything it felt like the world building was in place where all the dialogue and the narrative it felt like you were on this grand adventure with these characters yeah. uh, just a, a few stumbles I like, I think people were saying people were making this point online too where even though I liked how some of these shots were like lingering and very luxurious and like, it's like, like give you time to like take in what was happening. Um, I think he could have trimmed this down to like maybe three and a half hours, just well, taking out yeah. taking out like little bits here and there. And I think it would have been like, obviously those three scenes at the end, put them with the end credits, but like, it's like, I like how, how luxurious the shots felt, but I think just like, I think he could have tightened up a little bit more, but this is just me as a layperson, as a fan yeah. of film who's never edited a, a film before, just giving my kind of general thoughts as, oh, for sure. as a moviegoer, right? So Like, like
1: I'm watching the movie and I'm thinking, oh, this little, you know these four seconds could be cut here or there. I'm not really going into that much detail, but I'm sure yeah. there's lots of little moments
0: that could be trimmed down. Not trimmed, but like, tightened. Tightened. Yeah. Like, I, I still want, like, I'm still thinking, of, like, I've still got burned in my brain, like, when Batman slash Bruce Wayne is crossing those mountains, and it's just like just <laughs> that feeling of, of of scale there. I was like, I don't want that cut down a whole lot, yeah, right. Just like a few seconds in a couple scenes here and there, and you you'd save a, a bit of time, and you could, yeah. I don't know, I don't know. I wouldn't obviously. It's fine the way. It's perfectly fine. Not not fine. That's not a ringing endorsement. It's great. It's great the way. <laughs> it it is, is great.
1: Yeah. Uh, it's interesting you brought up Christopher Nolan, and I'm thinking what other directors than Zack Snyder and Christopher Nolan working with Warner Brothers does the studio <laughs> give so much control over because this is unprecedented in the movie industry isn't it where to give you some financial numbers here and these oh, are probably not <laughs> entirely confirmed uh, the theatrical cut of Justice League grossed about six hundred million dollars worldwide and was deemed a disappointment It was expected this was going to be a billion dollar film Initially, Warner's was giving Zack Snyder about twenty to thirty million dollars for him to make his cut of the film, and that quickly ballooned up to about seventy million dollars at last report. And you think okay, that's $70 million with pre-existing footage. He only filmed about three or four minutes worth of footage for this movie. And that was you could see it all in the epilogue. All of it was in visual effects and editing and all the stuff, like essentially finishing a movie after the wrap. And the only reason this was done is to drive business over to the HBO Max streaming service. And I think I read an article where they're interviewing Deborah Snyder saying, yeah, if it wasn't for HBO Max, this project would never have happened. This was a tentpole for that streaming platform what a what a crazy world we're in now where you know you can I think the film cost about two fifty three hundred million dollars to produce initially. Yeah. add in another seventy million dollars on top of that to recut it. What a crazy world that just tells you how much money is involved in these streaming services and almost going beyond the box office. And I think Warners, I mean they're they're a business. They know people are getting their service. They know people would go out to theaters if I was an option. They know people like Zack Snyder movies. It's wild. And I'm pretty happy that we got this. I wasn't fully on board. I could take it or leave it when we we're heading into the Release the Snyder Cut movement. But I was always intrigued. I'm always going to be intrigued by director's cuts, alternate cuts, Throughout history, there's always been multiple cuts of films, but nothing to this degree. This is maybe once in a lifetime situation of being able to revisit a film, and it being an entirely different movie.
0: But overall, yeah, if you have the chance to go see the Zack Snyder, Zack Snyder's Justice League, I mean, do yourself a favor. I mean, if you're already a fan of the DC universe or the DCEU, I mean, you're probably all over this already. And I know, mm-hmm. like, the fan reaction. I mean. I think it's the general consensus is that this is just a much better version of the film. Um, But for, you know, fans of that, of the comic books and fans of this, this movie universe, I mean, I think it's a real, it's a real treat.
1: And that wraps up the fourth episode of the Real Film Chronicles podcast. We really do appreciate you listening and thank you for hanging out with us this week. If you'd like to reach out to us, any comments or suggestions for films to cover, you can email us at realfilmchronicles@outlook.com, at and be sure to check out our website at realfilmchronicles.com.
0: Until next time, stay safe out there, and we'll talk to you soon.